most of us know someone dealing with a health challenge like diabetes, hypertension, or obesity. The challenge becomes how we handle it. Learn more about how one professional says patients can better advocate for themselves and access care just ahead on All Things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Colin Shope. Jody Holtz has the day off. Coming up, Dr. Francesca Armour talks to Yolanda Wallace about African-American health and why one meteorologist has a rosy forecast for the 2023 growing season. I'm thinking we get the crop in on time. Everything should be fine. We have ample soil moisture. Plus, Peoria School Board candidate Keisha Alexander visits the WCBU studio to discuss why she's running for office. Those stories plus local news just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Colin Shope, in for Jody Holtz today. African Americans die younger than their white counterparts, and they often suffer from various diseases earlier in life than white people. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control. In a recent episode of Mother's War on Violence, Dr. Francesca Armour of Bradley University and the Peoria County Board of Health spoke with host Yolanda Wallace about African American health. It's a good time for us to re-explore and then to make some commitments and perhaps even, I don't want to call them resolutions, but some decisions for change that we can each implement in terms of improving our health. Uh, What are some of those changes? Well, you know, one of the things we know in terms of data and what affects African Americans, especially both nationally as well as locally, is that there are certain conditions that seem to, not really seem to, but actually um, are manifested in African Americans that are higher than what is represented in the general or in our Caucasian population. I just want to mention just a few of those, most of which I think we're already fairly familiar with. For example, we understand and know the incidence of heart disease, we in the incidence of high blood pressure, we call it hypertension, but high blood pressure, the incidence of obesity, diabetes, cancer, as well as even asthma and stroke. So when we're, when we're looking at how that incidence manifests itself in the general population, most of us have experienced or know a loved one who has, has or is dealing with some of these problems. The challenge becomes how we handle it, and I, and I think that that's where we can get into some discussions about what are you doing to either manage the challenges, what are you doing to encourage loved ones and friends in their management of the challenges, mm-hmm. and what about the challenges of actually getting into our healthcare system and being faced with treatments and ways that you are responded to that sometimes shut us down from getting the information we need to make those wise decisions in terms of our own health care and the health care of our friends and loved ones. So I've gone the long way around to say part of what I think we really need to talk about is to discuss that whole notion of 
yours and my personal health advocacy, mm-hmm. what we can do to advocate for ourselves, and then what we can do to be resource advocates for our friends and family. Awesome, awesome. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about advocacy is that I really like that right now they have telehealth, that you can go in and actually update your medications. <laughs> and those that are old or you no longer use, you can take them off because sometimes if you leave them all on there, if the doctor cr- prescribes something, we don't know if there could be a conflict of medication or what. And advocacy, like you said, is a big word, uh, and you advocate for yourself. So in terms of uh, what other uh, means of advocacy are you talking about as far as I think that what you have said, Yolanda, in terms of that telehealth dimension is a valuable dimension. Um, One of the things that we find out is that there are certain age groups for which telehealth becomes a very foreign and almost Mm -hmm. scary experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can, with one another, just encourage that kind of participation. I like to center advocacy in and around all those ways that we communicate. Okay. I know so many individuals who, once they are in the physician's office or when they're in an acute care setting, um, they forget the questions they wanted to ask, or they feel like that someone is being rushed and they're rushing and they can't get the questions asked. And I want to begin by saying, no, that there is no such thing as a dumb question. Mm-hmm. If there is something on your mind, if you've heard a rumor, if you've even heard a myth in terms of a particular condition or a treatment that you're about to experience, and you want to ask about it, ask. There is no such thing as a dumb question. And for those of us who are healthcare providers, what we need to do, and I believe that there's some wonderful ones who do this already, is slow down enough to welcome the questioning. Mm -hmm. And as we welcome the questioning, if we have to say it two or three different ways until it is fully understood, then that's our role and that's part of our responsibility. Communication is important. It really is. You can listen to the full interview with Dr. Francesca Armour by finding The Mother's War on Violence on WCBU.org or on Apple or Spotify. You're listening to All Things Peoria on WCBU 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Colin Shope, in for Jody Holtz. Longtime Peoria-area meteorologist Mike McClellan says this summer's weather could be similar to the near-perfect late-season growing conditions of 2022. He recently spoke to WCBU correspondent Tim Alexander about his farming predictions for the year ahead. The best that I can foresee now is that... I'm thinking we get the crop in on time, everything should be fine, we have ample soil moisture. I'm thinking that June uh, is going to be above normal temperature wise, but we should see plenty of storm systems roll through, which will give us plenty of moisture and get that crop up out of the ground, get it good and sturdy. And then in July, just based upon looking at some of the analogs back years and years and years, 
and based upon where we are between La Nina, El Nino, and in the neutral phase, and a bunch of other things that are happening as well, I'm thinking July might be very stable, very stagnant, very cloudy, very, let's say, a little bit on the dry side, uh, but cool. And uh, I don't think that'll hurt us much. And then as we go back into, into August, that stagnant weather pattern shifts back into a more active pattern. We get, you know, necessary rains and we get the heat back. And uh, it could be a, a pretty good year for us, I think, in the in Corn Belt. 2022 started off uh, kind of wet, ended up being uh, ideal growing conditions and just the most perfect harvest weather you could ever have. What kind of things might occur? What kind of wild cards could occur to, to foul up such a rosy uh, prognosis for this summer? <laughs> That's always the tricky one. But uh, if there's anything that could potentially happen, if the uh, dryness that I'm anticipating in July extends into August, then even if it's cool, still could be an issue. Uh, Anytime we have extended dry periods, you know, several weeks in a, at a time without any significant rain, it can be a problem, whether it's winter, summer, spring, fall, it doesn't matter, uh, and especially in the growing season. So, and even if it is cooler than normal, it could be a problem. So that is my only thought, that if it extends into August, uh, it could be an issue. But overall... I think we're in pretty darn good shape. Well, it sounds like we're not going to have that drought materialize this year, hopefully, uh, as some are predicting. But, you know, looking ahead down the road a couple years, there's some doom and gloom being peddled. We're talking about possible dust bowl conditions, uh, and I understand there's a cycle to this. There's, there is some science behind it, as you explained during your presentation to the farmers today. But uh, could you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about this uh, projected uh, possible extreme drought, uh, you know, set up for a couple years down the road and what your opinion on that might be? Well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of speculation that we could, based upon the solar cycles, it's a Gleisberg solar cycle that happens between 70 and 100 years, and that is associated with drought. Okay, and it's based on solar activity. That's number one. Then if you combine that with what we call the Benner cycle, which is basically every 89 years, um, that is a tree ring prognosis. Looking back, 89 years, 89 years, 89 years, you go back into the 1800s and like 1847, 1846, you have a scenario where there was very dry weather in parts of the western half of the country. And based upon tree rings, you can see that. Um, and then you go 89 years forward to 1935, 1936. Of course, we had the Dust Bowl. You can see that in the tree rings. So if you go 89 years after that, you're talking about 2024, 2025. Will it be a drought in the western part of the country? I mean, you, you just don't know. I mean... There's some science behind it, but will it happen? I just can't say one way or the other. Uh, the potential is there. 
there's so many things that have to come into play in order to get a drought in the Midwest. And I can't see any of those happening at this point for 2024-2025. But I'm not to say it couldn't happen, but I certainly wouldn't be standing up here saying, hey, we're going to have a drought in 2024-2025 based upon that alone. That was meteorologist Mike McClellan speaking to WCBU's Tim Alexander about his 2023 agricultural forecast. You're listening to All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria. I'm Colin Shope, in for Jody Holtz today. Longtime District 1 Peoria School Board member Martha Ross faces a challenger in the April 4th election. Keisha Alexander was removed from the ballot after Ross challenged her petitions, but was later restored by a Peoria County judge. She joined WCBU's Tim Shelley in the studio to talk about why she's running for the school board. I've lived in Peoria for over 27 years now. Um, I met my husband here. 27 years ago, and we raised five children here. We have five adult children, and we run a construction business together. So what made you decide you want to run for school board? Well, um, the experience that I had in school, I got pregnant at eight at, in the eighth grade, and so I spent my four years of high school struggling um, to finish high school. And then when I did finish high school, I was excited because I wanted to go to college, and I couldn't test into any college-level classes. And um, so uh, that was concerned for me, but then as I am older and now I'm experiencing more with children, some people are still falling through the same cracks that I fell through because they did not have the support that they needed. Um, Growing up, living in poverty in a crime-ridden area, um, it made it hard for me to be successful in high school and then be able to go on to college. And so that's one of my biggest concerns is to help not just the children, but also the mothers that are struggling that have the children, and they're struggling to be successful also. So, you know, that's kind of one of the big one of the big things. How do we how do we help, uh, you know, those mothers and the children uh, be more successful, making sure that people have the supports they need to you know, be able to finish school and move on to a career? I think mostly um, so that there are resources out there sometimes, but we don't know where they are or how to get to them. Um, I I went and searched for the resources, but if people knew that they had help over here for this situation and help over there for that situation, they would probably be more likely to to get it, but not knowing that resources are there. And also, because I think because um, people were not using resources, those resources went away. And but we we need those to come back, like um, you know, child care resources and helping people with uh, being able to finish high school. Like me, if I didn't have my mother, I wouldn't have been able to finish high school either. And so, and all of that is because of a decision that I made, but also we're still people and we still grow up and become a part of society. And we want those people that grow up and become a part of this society to be productive citizens of our society and and not just um, a product of their environment. So... uh how how exactly I guess when you when you say resources I guess I want to elaborate a little bit on that because I know there's things like the wraparound center at, at Treewind School and mm-hmm. other resources available. Are you talking more things like that or helping get the word out more about those? Yeah, to get the word out more about those those and to um, start other programs that will help. 
So for me, um, going through high school, I, I was finishing my classes and, and getting grades that I was supposed to get, but I wasn't seeing a counselor. Like nobody was counseling me and telling me, oh, you, you need to do this so that, you can, so that you can go to college. So I'm saying like those, my family members didn't have the information needed for me. And so I, I would expect that the school, the guidance counselors and whatnot to show me how I can go to college because I had absolutely no idea. You know, I didn't know where to start. And so um, that that's something that's lacking, like, you know, to know that you can, that this opportunity is for you also. And I was always told, if you don't have good grades and you ain't got the money, you're not going to college. And so for some people, it's, uh, it's just forget it. I'm not going to even try. But I think that we can provide things for people so that they can know. Like I, I um, like summer, like you know, in the summertime, you know, reaching out to people and giving them classes and resources during the summer when school is out, you know, for the kids, so that you know they can up their skills and maybe decide what the, what it is that they really want to do and know that 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 it is possible because there's programs out there that's going to help them make that happen. And you mentioned summer. I know uh, Peoria Public Schools has had, uh, you know, fall breaks and spring breaks, which are two week, which they offer some, uh, you know, educational courses for students who need them or want to take them during those times. And there's also been kind of a, a more robust summer school program rolled out as well. Um, t- tell me a little bit about do you think those programs are important? Uh, what would you like to see happen with those? I do think those programs are important, but the children that are getting left out are, um, I would say, deemed as um, bad kids, kids that get kicked out of school, kids that, you know, maybe they got pregnant and they're not coming to school. Those, it's not addressing these situations. Children that have had a lot of deaths in their family, so they keep missing school. These things are not being addressed. And then, so you might see a child that's doing good their first couple years of school, and then all of a sudden, they're not doing so good, and then they go a few years of not doing so good. How do we find, I want to build a situation where we can find those students and help bring them along with everybody else too, um, because there's a lot of them. If it was just, you know, one here and there, okay, but it's like whole groups of kids that are falling through this crack and not getting the education that they need. And I think uh, what you're what you're referring to a little bit here is kind of something I've talked with a lot of people about, and it's kind of these these cycles of trauma that happen, you know, in Peoria mm-hmm. and elsewhere, where you get almost multi generational trauma that's kind yeah. of passed down, and it, it's a problem. It's a really big problem. It's really hard to wrap your arms around it. But obviously, the school's got to play a, a major role in mm-hmm. doing that. Where, where what do you see the school uh, playing a role in? you know, addressing some of the trauma and, you know, other things that go along with that? I think that um, I feel like, you know, um, there should be some type of weekly or even biweekly program that addresses that. So let's say, you know, schools used to have counselors, but I don't know what the counselors do today. But when I was in school, they had counselors. But the counselors were not necessarily there to address trauma. So if the counselors were there for the purpose of conflict resolution, anger management, and trauma, well then, you know, that child can be taken out and put placed into that, into the care of that counselor or whatever that program to address his or her problem with whatever it is, the trauma or, you know, whatever the situation may be. They can talk to someone about it or someone can talk to them about it that may understand. I think that um, 
like a lot of kids are don't feel like people understand what they're going through and so you can't help me because you don't understand and also another thing too is that the curriculum in every one of our schools is not where it could be um, the curriculum in, in some of our schools can be at the same level as some of the other schools but it's not and so and it's mostly in the schools that are in the poverty written areas and so kids that live in those areas are not going to get the same age education as they would if they lived up north or somewhere else or in Dunlap. And I think that's really unfair for the families that live in that, in that area. So talking about this curriculum disparity, how do you address that, I guess? How do you make sure that kids are, are getting the same opportunities and also that they're able to, you know, all, you know, go, go along and kind of learn the same things or able to learn at the same pace, I guess? I think that... Um, that we can we can um, balance out what is happening at Peoria Public Schools because it's not we're not unique to this problem, but in Peoria we can do that we could we could uh, like level out the playing field so that it doesn't matter where a parent has to live in Peoria, their child will still get a good education, and so that would be looking for funding so that the proper books and the proper equipment and materials can be purchased for the schools down here or in the area where the children are suffering can get the books and the materials and the equipment that they need so that they can raise the level of education that they're getting in the, these poverty-stricken areas. That was Peoria District 150 School Board candidate Keisha Alexander speaking with WCBU's Tim Shelley. Her opponent is School Board President Martha Ross. She hasn't responded to a WCBU request for an interview. You're listening to All Things Peoria on WCBU 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. And that's all for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU, a public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Colin Shope, in for Jody Holtz. Thanks for listening. Story help today came from Yolanda Wallace, Tim Alexander, and Tim Shelley. Holden Kellogg produced this episode of All Things Peoria. For more information on all of these stories, you can head to wcbu.org. And of course, you can also subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And we do want to know what you think of the show. So let us know by commenting on our Facebook page, where Peoria Public Radio, or following us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM and WCBU.org, Peoria Public Radio, a part of the NPR Network.